Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit To Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Again, if you're just joining us, welcome. Glad you're here. And... We are kind of in the middle of a series on Acts and the New Testament or the actions of the disciples, but we have hit pause on that for the um, several weeks just to focus on God's presence, focus on prayer, on what it means to worship. And so that's what we've been talking about the last several weeks. We'll pick up back in Acts chapter 15 sometime later on. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1 and then a little later if you want to go ahead and turn to Mark 14. We'll, we'll pick that up towards the end today. But Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the title of the message today is Stay Fresh. Stay Fresh. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Once you're there, if you'd stand as we read the Word of God together. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, meaning Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon Peter and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we dedicate and give this service to you. We ask and pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive your word with joy today, that we would be shaped and molded by your word, by your truth that is unchanging, that is constant. Father, we thank you. We give this service to you. We ask that you would anoint these lips of clay and flesh, that they would be your words and not mine. Father, we're nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. The message today is for what you might consider more quote-unquote seasoned Christians. In other words, people who's, who would identify themselves by saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Bible and my sins are forgiven and so on. Those kind of people who have been a Christian for, let's say, longer than three, four, five years. So if you're in the room today, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you're in the room and you've been a follower of Jesus, not just a church attender, but a follower of Jesus for more than you know, three, four, five years, this message is for you. It's for those who are kind of just searching today as well, but mainly for those of us who have been around the block a few times with this thing called church or Christianity. Staying fresh. What we just read, and it's pretty self-explanatory, Mark tells us who Mark was a direct uh, disciple, if you will, of Peter. So that's how we get the gospel of Mark. Peter, the, one of the closest followers of Jesus, dictated all these things that he says. So it's kind of a, a first-hand account. And Peter tells Mark, hey, there was a day early on in my relationship with Jesus. In fact, this was probably a month or two after Jesus asked me to follow him full time. And I gave up my family fishing business, which was quite wealthy, by the way. I gave that up. I, I laid everything aside, and I just began to follow Jesus. And there was one day, I'll never forget, Mark, and, and I want you to write this down, because there was one morning that it was me and a couple of the other guys, and it, was, it had to have been maybe 5 o'clock in the morning, because the sun wasn't up yet. And uh, we were uh, in, around Galilee and Capernaum, and I remember... That, that I was woken up early because something was missing in my life. There was something that I could just sense wasn't all there. Something that, that was there before is now gone, and I can sense that something wasn't quite right. And sure enough, because of that, I woke up, I looked around, and Jesus, my rabbi, wasn't there. The leader wasn't there. I didn't know where he was, and so I got the other guys, a couple of them, I said, hey guys, we got to go find Jesus. What happened to him? Was he abducted? You know, what happened? And so we began to search for him passionately, and again, it, we didn't have flashlights, we had, you know, lanterns, and that was about it, and we're looking all around from 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock, and we can't find him. Finally, we see him way in the distance, and he's by himself, and he's in an intense moment of prayer. And, you know, we weren't being really that considerate because we kind of interrupted his prayer time we said Jesus what are you doing we're looking for you where have you been being the nice guy he was he didn't get on to us he just said let's go on and preach all throughout Galilee 
fanatically fresh. Fanatically fresh. What's interesting to me, and just a quick side note about this, it says that Jesus departed early in the morning while it was still dark and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. There are times, we talked about this the last few weeks about prayer. There's times in your life when in prayer you need to remove yourself from the situation, sometimes even remove yourself from those around you and get a totally alone. The Bible calls it desolate, but not in a bad way, but get totally alone with God. There's no outside distractions. There's no phone calls, no emails, no one knocking at your door, no one saying, hey, let's do this, let's do that. Not asking other people, what do you think? What's your opinion? There are times in your life when the need is great enough that you have to shut off every outside distraction, not just shut it off, but get away from it. Remove yourself from it entirely and be totally alone, totally desolate with you and God in prayer. And that's not the sermon today, but that's a good side note. That's what Jesus teaches us here. Getting alone in prayer. What I think is so amazing, there's no alarm clocks, there's no alarm on these cell phones, there's no alarm clock on their bedside. Think about this. The disciples are there. Peter is there, and that's who we want to focus on. And he is woken up from his sleep. I don't think Jesus made a lot of noise when he woke up that morning. Peter is wakened up. He's aroused in his sleep. He wakes up why? Because he could sense that Jesus wasn't there anymore. He says, I went to bed last night and Jesus was in the next room or, or he was right over on the other side of the same room I was in and, and here's my sleeping bag and his sleeping bag's over here. But I went to sleep and we were in the same room and now something woke me up. Jesus was quiet, he just slipped out. But nonetheless, I can sense I'm so connected to him. I'm so in love with Jesus. I'm so uh, hungry after him that when he's not in the room, I notice. Think about that. I mean, could you, could you just imagine that you're so connected with Jesus, you're so in love with God's presence, you're so hungry for Him, that when He's not in the room, bells go off in your heart, bells go off in your life. You notice something's not right, something doesn't set right with you. Jesus didn't wake Peter up, alarms didn't wake him up, there was no rooster to wake him up at this point. The only reason Peter woke up, I mean the only reason, he could sense Jesus was no longer in his life. Jesus' presence was no longer right there. And I fear that there's a many, 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 many Christians, I'm not saying necessarily in this room, but I fear that there are many Christians and this very thing has happened and they're still sleeping. I think there's many, many churches, many churches, unfortunately, this could be set up. The presence of God at one time dwelled there. The power of the Holy Spirit at one time moved mightily in those churches, moved mightily in your life. God used you to do amazing things. There was a time in your life where you were so close with God that you would wake up on your own at 3 o'clock in the morning just to pray, just to spend time with Him. You didn't want anything. You didn't need anything. But you were so in love with Him. You're so connected to Him that, that nothing would separate you. Nothing would stand in your way. You're so hungry that you notice when He's not in the room. This past week on Black Friday, my wife went out to go um, Black Friday shopping and being the crazy woman that she is, she didn't wait until early in the morning. She went out at midnight, Thanksgiving night, cooked a full meal, Thanksgiving night, didn't come back in until about six in the morning. I noticed, now she's quiet when she gets in and out of bed. But we've been married almost 10 years, and I can't sleep without her. I mean, there's just something wrong. You know, the dog, and I love my dog, but my dog doesn't take the place of my spouse. And so whenever she's not in the room with me, I notice it. And I couldn't sleep all night. I couldn't sleep good. I, I kept tossing and turning because she wasn't with me. And then when she finally came back home and, and uh, slipped back in the bed, then I could finally sleep. That's what I'm talking about with your relationship with Christ. There are many churches who say, boy, I remember 10 years ago when God's presence moved. I remember five years ago when, man, the place was packed. Or I remember at one time in my life, God used me to do this and to do that. You were so in love with Him. You were so hungry for Him that you went wherever He was. Peter is so in love with Jesus. He's so connected to Jesus. He's so hungry for Jesus. 
he can sense when Jesus is in the room. There are churches that I have been to, and I, and I know you have as well, I'm sure, where you go in, they sing some songs, you hear a nice sermon, and you walk out, and God's presence was not in that place at all. Nice building, nice songs, nice musical instruments, nice preaching, nice pastor, nice people, but nonetheless, God's presence was not in that place. Have you been in those kind of churches? Because I have. Have you been around that kind of a Christian? Because I have. There's a big difference between those kind of places and when you walk in, and it doesn't matter what song they're singing, it doesn't matter what kind of preaching the guy does, but you walk in and you say, wow, God's presence is in this place. Something is different about this place. Something is different about this church. It's not the denomination on the door. It's not the pastor's preaching. It's not their ministries. It's not their building. Something is different. And the only thing I could say and put my finger on it is that God's presence must really be here because I can feel something here that I can't feel anywhere else that I go. You've been in those churches? Have you been around that kind of a Christian? That they're so in love with God? They are such a man or woman of God, woman of prayer, woman of God's presence, man of God's presence, that when you're around them, I mean, you can really sense, boy, they love Jesus. They're in love with God. They are close to His presence. Have you been around those kind of people? Have you been around the kind of people who say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, and really... I don't think the last time Jesus visited you was, you know, like Easter Sunday five years ago. What's amazing, and I want you to think about this, Jesus gets up and goes to pray. They get up and follow him. And then what do they do? They search for Jesus. They're so hungry for him, first of all, that when he's not in the room, it wakes them up, and then they do something about it. They don't just sit there and say, well, you know, if Jesus would, if we could just keep him on a leash, things would be better. I can't believe here, here he is now. He goes way off away, and we have to go find him. No, they are hungry enough that they do something about it. They're hungry enough that says, wherever Jesus is, I'm going to be. I'm going to follow. They're hungry enough that they're not going to be satisfied and say, well, we'll wait to breakfast when Jesus comes back. No, they're so hungry for him that they do something about it. They wake themselves up out of sleep. They put their clothes on and they go search for him. They search for his presence. Are you that hungry for God that something happens in your life that you search for him, that it wakes you up, that it stirs you and you do something about it? Not just, well, if we had better this or better that or, well, if my situation was different or if this was not so in my life, that might be No, but you're so hungry that I will not let any excuse stand in the way. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to search for God with all that I have. That hungry. They do something about it. They get up and they desperately search for him until they find him. David says in Psalms that better is one day in God's house, in God's presence, than a thousand days elsewhere. I mean, this is the, the M.O., if you will, of the disciples, of Peter. I mean, again, they haven't been following Jesus too long, maybe a couple of months at, at most, maybe a couple of weeks. But they realize that passage and they're thinking, man, I know when he's in the room and more importantly, I know when he's not in the room and he's not in the room. I got to get up. I got to do something about it. It's not about the pastor leading me to God's presence. It's not about the worship leader. It's about me getting hungry enough and desperate enough for him that I'm going to get up and move. I'm going to get up and do something about it. I'm not going to be satisfied just waiting till he comes back around. No, I'm going to go out and search for him. Better is one day to be with Jesus than a thousand days elsewhere. I mean, they could have, you know, they could have just sat there all day and wait for Jesus to come back to cook breakfast. But no, they go find him. Better is one day in God's presence than a thousand days anywhere else. For those of you, again, this message for those of us who are, quote, seasoned Christians, you've been a Christian for longer than two or three years. Do you remember those early days of your what Christians call salvation or your relationship with Christ. Think back. Some of you, it might have been 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 5 years ago. Think back to that time. Think back to the time that what, what some people call BC time, before Christ in your life. What was your life like? Before you may, you may have went to church growing up. That doesn't mean you had a relationship with Jesus. You may have went to church, you may be able to recite the Lord's Prayer backwards and forwards and in Spanish, but that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't amount to a hill of beans. The idea is that you have a hunger for God in your life. 
What was your life like B.C., before Christ? What was that like? Think about the moment you gave your life to Him. Wherever you were, and I've heard some of your testimonies, some of your stories about when you gave your life to Christ, and, and they just blow your socks off. I mean, they're incredible stories. But think about your life before Jesus in that moment that you finally made up in your mind, enough's enough, I'm going all in. I want all of Him. I give my entire life to Him. Think about that moment. Think about the months after that, the weeks after that, how hungry you were for Jesus. How passionately in love you were. Anytime the church doors were open, you were there not to hear the pastor preach or hear sing some songs. You just understood what David said in the Bible that, man, better is one day in God's presence than a thousand days elsewhere. Think about how passionate you were for him. You couldn't keep quiet. In fact, some of you lost friends because you wouldn't stop talking about Jesus and what he did in your life. Some of you lost relationships. Some of you maybe even lost a job because you were so hungry for him in those, in those early days, early years, that you were so passionate for him, you couldn't keep quiet. You couldn't stop talking about what he did in your life. You couldn't pray long enough. You couldn't worship hard enough. You were so hungry for him just because you're so in love with him, not because you needed anything from him, but because you loved him and you wanted to be wherever he was. You were passionate for him. In other words, you're just like Peter right here in Mark chapter 1. You remember those early days? You remember how hungry you were? How connected to Him you were? How deeply in love with Him you were? He just radically changed your life forever. He loved you deeper than any other person could. He forgave you when at times you couldn't even forgive yourself. When other people would never forgive you, He forgave you. He gave you hope and purpose and meaning in your life when you didn't have it before. He provided in your life where otherwise, you know, it'd be endless and hopeless. That's what he did in your life in those early days. He didn't want to spend one moment out of his presence. Wherever he went, he'd follow. And notice this in verse 38, once they find him, Jesus says, let's go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that's why I came. Notice this, that when they finally find Jesus... They don't come to Jesus and say, okay, here's our docket. Here's what's on the agenda for today. At 8 o'clock, we're going to cook breakfast. At 8.30, we're going to go to work. And then we're going to take a lunch break, and then we're going to go here. They don't come to Jesus and say, here's my agenda for the day. Jesus dictates to them, not in a bad way, but say, this is what we're doing today, guys. Okay, let's go do it. In those early days of your life with Christ, it wasn't about your agenda. Okay, God, now would you do this in my life? It was, God, whatever you want to do in my life, God, wherever you want to take me, whatever you want me to say, wherever you want me to go, however you need to use me, use me. You want me to, to do this, I'll do it. You want me to go there, I'll go there. You want me to say this, I'll say it. Whatever you want, my life is in your hands. That's what those early days are like. It's not about your agenda for the day, but following His. Now turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. This is a famous passage as well. Mark 14, 32 through 42. And when they went to a place called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And look at verse 33. And he took with him, who? Peter, James, and John. And Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled and he said to Peter, James, and John, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and pray. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if, all, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but your will be done. Verse 37, And he came and found Peter, James, and John sleeping. And he said to Peter, Peter, are you asleep? Could you not watch and pray for one hour? Watch and pray that you would not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, Jesus went away and prayed, saying the same words. And look at verse 40. And again, he came and found Peter, James, and John sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. 
The Son of Man must be betrayed to the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Peter goes from frenetically fresh, wherever Jesus was, even if I'm in a dead cold sleep and Jesus isn't in the room, if he wakes up and leaves, I'm waking up and following. I'm so unhungry with him, I'm so in love with him, I'm so passionate for him that I can just sense literally when he's in the room and when he's not. And when he's not in the room, I don't just sit on my thumbs and blame other people or blame myself. I get up and do something about it and I chase after him. Wherever he goes, I follow. Fanatically fresh. To now, he's stagnantly stale. Think about this. Mark chapter 1 is the first couple of weeks, maybe months, of Jesus and Peter's relationship. So in love with him that he wakes up from sleep Jesus didn't wake him up. He could just sense when he was there or not. And he follows Jesus. And now, roughly three, maybe three and a half years later, the time that Jesus needs him the most, he's sleeping. Think about it. He, he pulls Peter aside. Peter, James, and John. He leaves the other guys there to, to, to pray or to sleep or whatever. And he says, I need my prayer team. I need my prayer warriors. I need my brothers to have my back here spiritually. So guys, listen, I need you to pray for me. I need you right now. I'm beginning to be crushed with the weight of sin of the world on my back. I need you to pray. I need you to pray that you don't fall into temptation. I need to pray that you'll encourage me and, and help me and to give me strength to do this. I need you, Peter. If I've ever needed you I need you now to pray okay Jesus I got it we'll pray Jesus goes off again by himself notice both cases he goes by himself to pray Peter sits there and I'm sure he starts off to pray but maybe five minutes into it his eyes get heavy and he and John and James fall asleep Jesus comes back and he says Peter could you not could you not pray one hour it's not that hard, Peter. Just pray for one hour. Jesus, I'm so sorry. I got it. I got it. Okay. I got it. I'm so, I, I was tired. I got a cat nap now. I got a power nap. I'm good. Okay, you go pray and we'll pray for you. Jesus goes off. And then you begin to pray. Five minutes later, he dozes off again. Jesus comes back, says the same thing. Guys, you don't understand how serious this is. You don't understand how critical this is. You've got to pray. I need your prayers. I need it, and you need to be praying that you don't fall into temptation. Jesus, I'm so sorry. You got it. That's right. Uh, okay, from now on, yep, we're going to pray, and we're going to really pray, and we're going to really seek the face of God on your behalf. They fall asleep a third time. When Jesus needed his friends the most, they utterly failed him. They would rather sleep than pray. Now, I don't want to beat up on these guys too much. I've been guilty of that. I'm sure everybody in the room has been guilty of this at times. They just ate a big meal, similar to what we ate on Thursday. Huge meal. They sang some songs. It was a long day for them. It's about midnight or a little later. Yeah, it'd be hard to pray. I get that. But three times? Think about if that is you. Think about that Jesus is in the room today. He pulls you aside. I need you to pray for me. I'm about to face some serious issues, some serious things, some serious sin. I need you to pray for me. And you start off to pray. Wow, Jesus is asking me to pray for me. This is amazing. You bet I'm going to pray for, and I'm going to pray for myself. So yeah, I'm really going to pray. And you doze off. And Jesus comes back to the pew where you're sitting or the bed where you're kneeling or the chair where you're sitting at home and he nudges you, hey, I ask you to pray. Could you just pray for one hour? I'm sorry, Jesus. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's pray. And you doze off a third time. The three guys he could always count on when he needed them. It was Jesus' greatest moment and he needed his greatest friends to do their greatest praying for him. When he needed him them mo the most, they were sleeping. When he needed them to fight in prayer, we talked about that last week, they were sleeping. Some of you have family members and loved ones that need you to fight in prayer for them. 
need you to intercede for them. And intercede means to stand in the gap. That there's a gap between their sinful life or the issue in their life and between God's will for their life. And it's you standing in the gap, praying on their behalf, interceding on their behalf. They need you to pray. They don't know Christ. They're far from Him. This church needs you to pray. This community needs you to pray. The United States needs you to pray. Yeah, we need you to vote, but more importantly than voting in elections, we need you to pray. The church is supposed to be a roaring lion. We're supposed to have a strong backbone. And yet I see Christians and I see churches across America that are like more like jellyfish than a roaring lion. We lay down and we want to be politically correct and we don't want to offend and the media can attack us and we'll be labeled all kinds of evil, wicked things. And when Planned Parenthood sells and chops off human baby parts. We just kind of ho-hum and, well, we complain about politics. No, the answer isn't politics. The answer is getting on your face before God, crying out to Him in prayer. There are unborn children that need you to pray, not sleep. This church needs you to pray and not sleep. I need you to pray and not sleep. Your unsaved loved ones, your family members, your co-workers, your kids need you to pray and not sleep. And Jesus says, guys, there's only so many times I'm going to wake you up. There's only so many times that I can send a warning shot over the bow to get your attention. I mean, I tried the first time. Okay, well, we'll change. We'll change. We'll get with it. We'll start praying and you fall back asleep. I send another warning shot over the bow to wake you up lovingly, not hatefully, but lovingly, and you fall back asleep. There's only so many times and so many ways I can try to get your attention. And after a while, when you keep hitting snooze on prayer, Really what you're doing is snooze on the urgency of Christ in your life. I don't know about you, but on my alarm clock, which is my phone, after the third time that I hit snooze, it just lets me snooze. It doesn't wake me up again. I've missed a couple of meetings because I've been late to someone because of that. I'll be sleeping, it'll go off. Okay, I got five minutes, I'll hit the snooze. After the third time, well, we're not gonna wake you up again, my smartphone says, keep sleeping. Obviously, sleep is more important than whatever it is you need to wake up and do. Peter, James, and John, sleep is more important than praying for me. Church, being comfortable as Christians is more important than praying for your church. Being comfortable as Christians is more important than praying for your neighbors and your lost loved ones. Being comfortable in your walk with God and having a nice Thanksgiving meal and spending $1,000 on Black Friday and, and having great time and nothing necessarily wrong with that. But sometimes those things take precedent and they're more important than praying for the aborted babies, praying for this country, praying for our leaders, praying for your neighborhood and your family. When he needed them most, they were sleeping. When he needed them to fight in prayer, they were sleeping. I know a lot of you believe that we're living in the last days. The Bible says the last days, and it refers to the time, the, the apocalypse is what some people call it, but the time before Jesus returns. And at this church, we believe Jesus is going to return, not as a baby in a manger that we celebrate later this month, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's going to come and take those who follow him, Christians, the church, and be with him forever. We believe that at this church. The Bible says that we believe it. And some of you believe that it's not too long until that happens. I've talked to you and you said, man, I believe we're living in the last days. It's just a matter of time. It could be a year, it could be next week, but I really believe Jesus is going to come back, so maybe even in my lifetime. I think that's great. If you, if, you, if you believe that, I believe that, and I think that's fine. But the reality is, if that's true, if you really think that, if you really think Jesus and we're living in the last days and he's returning soon, your prayer life ought to reflect that. Your prayer life should reflect that you believe we're living in the last days. It is a hypocritical of us to say we're living in the last days. Jesus is coming back and there's four blood moons and all this crazy stuff. Oh, and Jesus is returning and I can see the signs and, I, and I've studied prophecy. He's coming back. And that's the end of it for you. If Jesus really is returning and you're really living in the last days like you believe that we are, you need to get on your face like never before. You need to pray like you're living in the last days. You need to pray like he could return tomorrow. You need to be hungry for his presence in your life. These may be the last chances we have to pray in this life. Jesus didn't want them to pray only for his sake, but their own. And I think the saddest of all is verse 40. 
And again, Jesus came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And look at this. This is so sad. And they did not know what to say to him. Think about that. If Jesus came to you today in the flesh, hey, you, you, you say you're living in the last days. You say you have a heart for me. You say you want to reach the lost. You say you love your church, all these things. But if that was really true, you'd be praying. But you're sleeping. You're hitting the snooze button. What's, what gives? What's going on? What, um, no excuse. No excuse. I've told you there's, there's five things that I live by that are, you want to call them core values, that's fine. But one of them is no excuses. The older I get, I'm only 30, but the older I get, I have little tolerance for excuses. And I apply that to myself first and foremost. Well, I would pray more. Well, I would be hungry for you more, God, but, I, I, you know, if I didn't have this or if I had better this, excuse, excuse, excuse. Think about this. Remember about three years ago, there was a time when they could sense whether Jesus was even in the room or not. I just, if I could, I don't know how any clear that I can make it, especially the Bible makes it between Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 14. We're only talking about two, maybe three years, maybe three and a half. Not a long period of time. To where they're sleeping and at around 5 a.m., Jesus gets up quietly and slips off to pray. And they're so in love with him. They're so connected to him. They're so hungry for him that it wakes them up. Wait a minute, something's not right. And they wake up. And they go to search for Jesus. Two, three years later now, Jesus looks them in the face, grabs them by the arm. Guys, I need you to pray. Peter, I need you to pray. And he falls asleep three different times. Think about where you were three years ago with Christ. Your hunger for Him, your passion for Him, your prayer life, your desperation, not for Him to do miracles and answer prayer in your life, and that's fine, but just for more of Him in your life, less of you and more of Him. Just hungry, not for His hand of blessing, but for His face, for His anointing, for His glory in your life hungry for him where were you two three years ago and where are you today where were you you remember back when you were a new christian and and man you would wake up to to pray you were you were just so hungry for jesus anytime the doors were open there you were he forgave you when no one else would he loved you when no one else would he was there for you he made your life have meaning and purpose he forgave you when when everything else was hopeless he gave you hope you were so in love with him. It didn't matter what song was being sung. It didn't matter what was being preached. It didn't matter who was in the room. You were going to worship. You were going to be hungry for his presence and nothing would hold you back. Do you remember those times? You're so radically in love with him. You're fanatically fresh. Now where are you? Where am I? Where are we as a church? Three years ago, is our hunger for God greater or less? Is the hunger for God in your life greater or less than it was two or three years ago? Is that passion for His presence that you knew when He was in the room or when He wasn't? And here's what I think maybe happened with Peter and James and John. If we're not careful, and that's why I said in the beginning, this message is for seasoned Christians, older Christians. You've been around the block a few times. You've been a Christian for longer than two or three years. When you and I, because I'm definitely in that category, if we're not careful, what started off in Mark chapter 1 in our life with Jesus as fresh, as new, as exciting. Oh man, this is all new to me. This is exciting. I've never been around Jesus before and now I am. And man, wherever he is, there I want to be. I know when he's in the room. I'm so hungry for him that I get up. Instead of sleeping now, I get up and search for him. And before you and I are, if we're not careful, Two or three years, we go through the motions with Jesus. We go to church every week. 
we do our devotions, we read the Bible, we pray, we tell other people about Jesus, we might even see some miracles. God answers amazing prayers in your life. But now two or three years later, instead of waking up to find him, you hit the snooze button. Instead of being so desperate for him and hungry for him that God, unless you move in this place, I don't want to leave. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about that in Exodus 33. Moses said that, God, I'm not going to leave this mountain unless you go with me. To, instead of getting up to find you, instead of sleeping, I'm going to sleep instead of search for you. Where are you? From where you were two or three years ago in your hunger for God in your passion for Him. Not for Him to answer prayer and do great things in your life. That's fine. Just loving Him. Just better is one day in your house and a thousand days elsewhere. Where are you? Where are we as a church? Are we as a church more hungry for God than we were last year? Than, than, than last Sunday? Did you come here today? Did you wake up and the first thought in your mind is, man, I can't wait to be in God's house today. I can't wait to fellowship. I can't wait to worship. I can't wait to experience His presence today. I'm excited. I don't really even care what He's going to preach about because I'm just caring about being in God's presence today. Did you wake up with that on your mind? And when you walked through those doors, that was on the back of your mind? Perhaps they became so familiar with Jesus that it just became routine. Their passion, their love, their desperation for His presence just became routine. I really believe the greatest weapon that the enemy, Satan, uses against Christians, he can use a lot, but I really believe that the greatest weapon he can use is spiritual laziness or complacency. In other words, stagnantly stale. Yep, Satan says, I got them going to church every week. That's fine. Yep, they can sing those Christian songs about Jesus. They can hear nice sermons. That's fine. I'm going to lull them into a a, a doze of of, of coma-like state spiritually. That's fine. You can go to church every week. That's fine with me, Satan says. You pose no threat. Yep, just be comfortable spiritually. Quit being hungry for God like you used to. Quit waking up in the middle of the night and crying out just for His presence. Just be comfortable where you are. I'm good with that. We'll see who wins in the end. Peter goes on, by the way, this current battle to lose it. If you read in the next passage, he denies Jesus three times. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus told him to pray three times and now he denies Jesus three times. When Jesus asks you to pray... And when I'm telling you today to be hungry for His presence, be hungrier today than you were last week or last year, there's a reason for it. It's not just so you can have emotionalism, be a Pentecostal person. No, no, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with Jesus is telling you, watch and pray, watch and pray. You never know when temptation is coming. James in the New Testament, or Peter says in the New Testament, he, he, after all of this, he says that look out because the enemy, Satan, is a roaring lion seeking to whom he would devour. And he's telling you to watch and pray. Before we know it, our Christian life just becomes routine. And before you know it, maybe even you read devotions every day, maybe you read a passage of scripture every day, and it just becomes part of your weekly routine. Friday night, you go out with your family, and Saturday night, or Saturday, you work around the house, Sunday, you go to church, Sunday afternoon, you watch the Steelers, Monday, you go to work. It's just part of my weekly routine. Is my hunger and love for God central to my life? Well, it was a couple of years ago, but now, you know, and and here's the excuse that I hear for so many Christians, and to be honest, I've used it myself. Well, I'm more mature now than I was two or three years ago. You know, all that jumping and dancing and being hungry for God and crying out to Him. That's good if you're a new Christian, but I'm more mature. I've grown. That's an excuse, and here's why. I don't know how many of you who are married, but I can guarantee you this. If I told my wife, you know, I love you just as much as I did 10 years ago. In fact, I love you more. Our relationship has matured. You never write me love notes anymore. You never take me on dates anymore. You never give me flowers for no reason. 
But it's because our relationship has matured. I'm deeper now in our love together. I don't know about your spouse, but my wife would say, that's an excuse. I don't want to hear it. I heard of a, a pastor tell this story that he was buying several bouquets of flowers for his wife. I guess she had a bad day, I don't know. As he's buying these dozens of bouquets for his wife, the cashier at the flower shop said, boy, you must have really messed up to buy this many flowers. And he said, nope, I just really believe you keep her like you got her. In other words, and I've heard people say this, you keep dating your spouse. Yeah, your love may grow more mature, but that doesn't mean that you're not any less passionate. No, instead, I'm more passionate with my wife. I'm more hungry to be around her. I love her more. I'm consumed with her pleasure, her happiness, honoring her, glorifying her in my life than I was a couple of years ago. I want to express that love more and more. Many marriages fail because we get lulled into a sense of comfort. Has your relationship with Christ become so routine that the passion and the hunger are gone? Matt can come back and play. I was growing up, I've told you I grew up on a farm, cattle farm, and we had two ponds on our farm. We had a pond in the front, a pond in the back. The pond in the front every year with cattle, with, with as many cattle as we had and the land that we had, you move the cattle from pasture to pasture. The weeds and grass grow up, you move the cattle into that pasture so they eat that grass and then once the grass is eaten down and kind of mowed down, then you move them to the next pasture. We would do this every year. Well, in the summertime, when we would move them from the front pasture where that pond was to one of the back pastures, or we had several pastures, but whenever we'd move them back, you know, we had so much land that they wouldn't come back to that pasture until three or four months later. The pond that we had in the front, and it was right by the road by our house, normally it was crystal clear, beautiful pond. We had fish in it, it was nice. Probably the size of this room, nice pond. But whenever the cows weren't in that front pasture, drinking out of that pond on a regular basis, a green film and bacteria and slime, and I don't know what it was because it was gross, but it would begin to cover. And you could just watch it over the year, you know, over the summer. Like the first month, it would just be a little bit on one corner. The next month, it'd be about halfway covered. And by the third month, the whole pond would be covered. There are some of us that our spiritual life is just like that pond. When we become stagnantly stale and we're not continually hungering for God and, and, and seeking after His presence, a little bit of that bacteria spiritually begins to cover up our life. Well, it's no big deal. You know, I'm busy. I'll, I'll, catch, it. I'll catch God later when I'm not so busy. I'll pray when I'm not so busy. I'll be hungry for Him if I could really get into worship more. I could really uh, study my Bible better or so on and so on and make excuses. And the next little bit in your life, that scum is beginning to cover more and more of your life. Until before you know it, your heart and your life spiritually, you're stagnantly stale. Nothing wants to drink out of you. You're of no good. Revelation, Jesus says this in Revelation 3, that because you're lukewarm, you have no purpose. You're not hot or cold. Hot has purpose, cold has purpose. It's still a pond. You're still a Christian. If you died, you'd still go to heaven. But you're stagnantly stale. A stale heart, listen to this. A stale heart quickly becomes a calloused heart, which quickly becomes a bitter heart, which results in a dead heart. A stale heart, your hunger for God that grows stale, just like when you leave bread out overnight, it becomes hard and crusty, becomes a calloused heart. And if you don't address that, before you know it, it'll become a hardened heart, and the end result is totally dead. Why aren't there more people in these seats today? Where were the ones who came here a couple of years ago or five years ago, ten years ago? All kinds of answers, reasons, excuses. 
But I think we can't rule out that there's some who came. They were hungry for God, just like Mark chapter 1 and Peter, passionate for his presence. And as time went on, the months and the years went on, instead of being fresh, just like that pond, it began to become stale. They began to slip further and further back. That hunger for God that was once a huge bonfire blazing that all could see just became a few lukewarm coals and they slip out. They love God. They believe in the Bible. They're, quote, good people. But their stale heart became a calloused heart, which became a bitter heart. And now they have a dead heart. And the last thing I want to tell you this morning is this. We've talked all day today, this morning, about having a passion for His presence, being hungry for God, being more hungry today than you were last Sunday, than you were two years ago or three years ago. Don't make the mistake Peter made here. Last thing I want to tell you is this. You need to understand, His passion for you hasn't changed. His hunger for you, His love for you, it never grows stale. God's love for you, His plan for you, His passion for you is not like that pond where after a while His love for you just kind of comes cold. No, God's love for you is always raging hot. God's passion for you is the same today as it was five years ago, as it was two years ago. His love for you, His passion for you has never decreased. It's never waned. It's never grown cold. It is passion for you is just as strong today as it was two years ago, three years ago. Where's yours for Him? Jesus asked you what he asked Peter in chapter 14, verse 40. What would you say? Are you more in love with him this year than you were last year? Are you closer to his presence than last year? Are we as a church hungrier for him than this time last year? Let's pray. Father, help us to not be like Peter in these two passages we read in Mark. Help us to not one day say, God, we love you. God, we're hungry for you. God, we need you. And after a few years, that passion, that hunger, that love, that drive, that desire, just for your presence, nothing more, nothing less, but just a passion for you to be in love with you, to draw closer to you, to go deeper in love with you begins to grow cold. Instead of saying fanatically fresh, we become stagnantly stale. Father, we thank you today that your love for us never grows stale. Your love for us never grows cold. Even at times in our life and in my life, when I'm guilty of that, when I'm guilty of my hunger and my love for you, my passion for your presence has, has grown kind of comfortable or routine your passion for me never changed Father let us not be as you tell us Jesus and you warn us in Matthew that during the day of judgment there will be many people who come to you and say Lord we knew you we cast out demons in your name we did great things in your name and you say I never knew you Father, that you are asking us in this church, as a church, individually, as men over our families, as women over our families, over our communities, over our places of work, over this country, to pray, to be hungry for more of you. You are the answer. Let us not be lazy. Let us not be stagnant. Thank you, Father. If you're here today with every head bowed, you've never given your life to Christ, we don't want to end any service without giving you an opportunity to respond to the way God has been working on your heart and dealing with your heart while I've been talking. And if that's you, if you want to make your way to the front right now, I'd love to pray with you. You're making that first step of knowing what real forgiveness and joy and hope and peace is all about, a relationship with Christ. You're making that first step to being hungry for Him. If you want to do that right now, I'd love to pray with you. Others of you that you say, you know, I'm there, but could I talk to you a little more? i got some questions I'd like to ask. Fill out that connection card under the seat in front of you and, 
and, and give it to me, and I'd love to meet with you this week at your convenience. But I beg you, do not leave without making some sort of decision, some sort of forward step commitment. Quit fighting, quit resisting, and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. If you want to do that right now, for the rest of us, for you more seasoned Christians, I beg you, not just as a pastor, as a fellow brother in Christ, as a fellow Christian, we must heed the warning that we learn from Peter's life. We start off hungry for God, on fire for Him, and we may use the excuse, well, I've grown more mature in my relationship. That's just an excuse. Peter could have said the same thing. There's only so many times God's going to get our attention. Wake up and pray. He needs us to pray. There's a time in your life when you could sense God's presence in your life, in your home, in your spouse, in your family, at your job, in your church. Where is that today? There was a time that you were so hungry for Him, He was the first thing you thought of and the last thing you thought of every day. You went through your whole day just loving Him, just thinking about His goodness and how He changed your life, how you just want more of Him. Where is that today? Are we hungrier as a church than we were six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago? It doesn't matter what happened back then. It matters today. There's a time in your life where you would wake up to be hungry for God's presence. And if you're not careful, you may be in a time where you just keep hitting snooze. Father, we thank you. Help us that our hunger and our passion for you would continue to grow, continue to burn deep, to not become lazy spiritually, to not become satisfied, to not become spiritually comfortable, but to be hungry for you, to be hungrier for you, to be men and women of God, men and women of prayer, men and women of your anointing, men and women of your presence. We seek your presence above all things in our life. Thank you, Father. Father, I ask that you bless every person that is here. May you bless their coming in and their going out. May you bless all that they put their hands to. Father, may you bless that their, your presence would dwell in their homes, that you give them favor in the eyes of their employers and coworkers to stand up and boldly stand out for you in your truth and not compromise. May you bless us as a church to be a biblically healthy, fruit-producing church that would change lives in our community for your kingdom through a greater hunger for your presence, passion for you to move in this place, even more so than last week or last year, that next week we'd be even hungrier for you than we are today. Through solid biblical teaching and living and a passion to reach the lost like you have. We love you and we thank you and we're nothing without you. Let us always stay fanatically fresh for you. We're nothing without you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I love you. Have a... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.